Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. World Cup fever continues. We've got heaps to talk about on the pod tonight. New Zealand and India played last night. England smashed the Aussies, which of course I won't mention at all to Michael Baldwin. We've got chasing teams winning left, right and centre, or left, right and centre even. And the Jew is coming down to influence the games across the World Cup. We've got that and a whole lot more on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. So, guys, I think we've got to start as a New Zealand cricket podcast, largely with New Zealand's victory against India. What are our thoughts on the game, guys, with a little bit of time to reflect overnight? Oh, Raj, I, I was, uh, I'm obviously keen to jump in here, but I, I, why don't you kick us off with the first words? Because I think it's, it's uh, as Binksy mentioned last time, you are also a, a New Zealand fan, and uh, obviously the West Indies are not going particularly well, so it's probably time for you to jump off that bandwagon and join, join us Kiwis again now. Yeah, no, it was a, a very good game, I thought. Um, we completely outplayed the Indians, and, you know, we'll get to it later. I think the Indians are actually beating themselves to an extent there. But, um, no, I'm completely happy with how we played. We've been bowling really well. Uh, it's interesting, Bolt came out earlier in the week, talked about wanting to bowl like Charlie Shaheen, um, and I think he, he bowled really well, and, and so did the rest of them. Uh, I do have one bugbear, just before I throw over to you, Stu, maybe uh, I'll throw over to you, but... Uh, I guess the coaching staff and, and the captaincy, they've kind of earned the right to go in whatever strategic direction they want, you know, as the uh, New Zealand cricket team based on recent performance. But really, who saw Daryl Mitchell fly in from the wings and be our number one opener? I mean, uh, he's doing a great job. It's, it's hard to fault him. Uh, and he, he does a stellar job and he's always steps up for us when we need him to. But um, if I can't see Finn Allen and Guppy opening the batting, then I really want to see Devin Conway and Martin Guppel, Guptal open the batting together. What do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I mean, I'll just st- start by saying, yeah, absolutely delighted with that win. And, you know, I think I said last week I was feeling really, bit, started to feel a bit nervous about that week. And um, obviously two big games that, you know, that I think we'll get to it later that may not define uh, that group. But, you know, it, it obviously wouldn't have been very good for New Zealand to start off with, with two losses. Binksy, you want to just jump in quickly? Yeah, no, um, it was more next rather than immediately, Lippy. Um, so look, I, I, I can let you continue. But yeah, I did, I did want to ask you boys a question. So um, yeah, when you've, um, yeah, when you've talked a little bit more and uh, I can see the face starting to glow, come back to me. Okay. Well, look, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll answer Raj's question around Mitchell because I think it's a really interesting point. Um, <laughs> and geez, this podcast is going to last forever if you keep throwing your hand up, Binksy. But look, the uh, the the Mitchell one is is fascinating to me because I completely agree with you, Raj, in terms of why is he opening? It doesn't make any sense to me in terms of like the actual squad because they left Van Allen at home, they left Colin Munro at home. There was a lot of debate about those things. Whether they would have done that if you know COVID wasn't around, who knows? I think that is a, a big question in terms of like would Finn Allen have kind of played his way into that squad is something we probably never know and it's same with sort of AJS Patel we've kind of had those discussions and I think I heard today that this this is the first two games that Daryl Mitchell's ever batted uh, opened the batting in a T20 in any professional game so it's it it came out of nowhere and I I think really it was a you know Gary Stead sort of talked about how he was just hitting the ball really cleanly and and I mean you I and um, you guys, a few of us, we talked last week around how we thought the Coleys and the Barbara's arms and Williamson and stuff were going to be so important for actually batting through the innings. But Binksy mentioned and Raj as well about how maybe it is that kind of bash 
accumulate bash kind of tournament and and maybe that's what New Zealand saw is that they saw Daryl Mitchell's actually hitting the ball cleaner than anyone at the moment and then if we can put him up there at the top then we've got Williamson and Conway to continue after that and build the innings and and maybe Guptill and and Nisham to uh, not Guptill and Nisham uh, Phillips and Nisham to finish off there so yeah it's an interesting one I don't really know still where I sit on it but it's obviously worked so far so you can't fault it. The question I was going to ask you guys is around Tim Seifert. So, obviously, he started the tournament as uh, in possession of the wicket-keeping gloves um, and batting down the order, which we kind of felt when we did our preview, I think, that he had to open the batting if he was playing, really. Is it a case that perhaps... And, and you see this so rarely now, the teams are so well-planned, that Seifert's almost sort of unselectable now for, for the rest of the tournament, barring injuries and, and it's strange to get a squad selection like that potentially wrong I, I look maybe i'm reading too much into it but it looked to me as if they've changed the plan after one game of the world cup based on yeah obviously daryl mitchell's forming the nets and um and maybe seifert's failure in that first game what are your thoughts there yeah i think it's hard with that that first game there was a lot of issues there with the icc and getting clearance for adam milne and stuff there around that squad which which forced them to change their their plans a lot so i don't think we can take too much from that first game but with the cypher thing i I think it's it's been a while now where his 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 place in the team has actually been been diminishing more and more and more and to where is he keeping is he batting three is he opening the batting is he a closer he's kind of jumped around to all these different roles and at the moment i just think there are people in the team who can fulfill those roles better than him there's no reason that he can't be there as a backup if there is injury or, or force his way into the team through through other performances outside of international cricket if he ever gets to to do that back home um but yeah i just think that he's currently on the on the outer in that respect yeah i think unfortunately he's just played his way out of that side and, and it's probably um unfortunate for him that he hasn't really found that role because he got he's gone to the cpl and played as a closer he's done okay he's been in the ipl with with kkr hasn't really had a crack he's sort of played uh, he's sort of been in a lot of franchise tournaments but hasn't really been able to show what he's worth and hasn't really been able to uh, fix himself in any lineup. And, you know, we saw him get left out of the decider against Australia last year in the, in the T20 uh, ta- series that we had here. So, yeah, it's a, uh, it's hard to see him getting back in at any point, really. I mean, I, I think he had to be in the squad in terms of backup keeper, um, unless you were going to go with someone like Latham. But, yeah, I don't think we would have seen that before the Bangladesh series. So, yeah, very interesting one. Let's let's move back to the bowling because I, I want to talk about that a bit more in depth because I think New Zealand just did such a tremendous job there. I, I went through the... Um, I couldn't find anywhere that I could find the dot balls online, so I actually just went back through the commentary on, on Crick Info and counted them all up. So excuse me if I've got this wrong, but we I think we bowled 45 dot balls. Um, which was just remarkable, and you know, as as well as your seven wickets. So that's almost half of the innings where they didn't score off. And I just thought that was really tremendous. And Raj, you mentioned before about Bolt trying to bowl like Shaheen Shah Afridi, and, and that's what Pakistan has done so well. And I mean, maybe you guys want to talk about how that that first six overs is becoming so crucial in this tournament. Yeah, I think for, first thing I just jump in and say I think it was fifty three dot balls, guys. Um, if my maths is correct, that. Uh, 13, 11, 11, 10, and 9 go running through the, 
the bowling card. So even better than you, better than you thought. And yeah, we, we just echo it's it's a great uh, a great bowling performance. But look, I guess we'll come on to it. But uh, great bowling performance. But also, I think Raj alluded to it as well. India potentially losing their way a little bit with the bat as well in terms of the the methods that they. Um, took so yeah I guess how much was it good bowling and how much perhaps India uh, batting like a 2010 T20 rather than a 2021 T20 yeah I think you're I think you're right Binksy that this is a different kind of tournament we have mentioned it a couple of times it's very hard to win the game in the first six overs but what we're seeing is that you can go a long way to losing that game in the first six overs and, and that's what we're seeing with, with a lot of the teams that are absolutely getting trounced um by the opening bowlers, by the new ball, and they just can't recover. Uh, so I think it's exceptionally uh, important for this tournament. I want to throw a question back at you, Stu, around the spin bowling. So I'm at a disadvantage. I haven't actually seen the game. I know that that feels silly for someone who's on a cricketing podcast. Uh, but tell me a little bit about the uh, the spin bowling and, and Santner and Sodi. Oh, I'm I'm actually delighted that you asked because I've got a few notes about Santner and specific. You know, I know Sodi won a man in the match, and, and did bowl tremendously well, and actually has bowled really well in, in both games. It's interesting that he would have been the one to miss out in that Pakistan game had Milne been given the clearance. They were they said that Sodi wouldn't have played, but um, he actually got, you know, he kind of got us back into that game, getting a couple of wickets. But I think Santner, for, for me, actually was the most important, and, and Ish actually singled him out during the press conference. I mean, someone actually asked him how much, you know, what great friends they were and stuff like that, so it kind of led to that, but... He he made a, a strong point about how how important it was that Santner just bowled dots and built that pressure, and that's the kind of thing that I thought he was actually a little bit off in the Pakistan game. And what he what he does so well, Santner, when he's on, is he just holds that middle period together for New Zealand and really continues to build that pressure the whole time. And it was they just worked so well together, and and that's been the the hallmark, I guess, of our T20 cricket, you know, even going back to, they, they mentioned in the press conference that 2016 uh, T20 World Cup game where New Zealand kind of did the same thing to India, but, um, you know, knocked them over um, even cheaper. Um, and Santa and Sodi did the, did the damage again. So, yeah, just, just tremendous stuff. Well, guys, let's talk a little bit now about the rest of the pool. So uh, that game, obviously pivotal potentially to some of the outcomes, but... Could we see a situation where Afghanistan finished second here in in that pool? Absolutely. It's definitely possible that Afghanistan can finish second in the group. They've got the toughest run home, I think, of some of those teams in Group 2. Afghanistan still to play both India and New Zealand. And after that loss to New Zealand, India will be hurting and looking for redemption. So it is possible that Afghanistan could finish second. They'd, they'd require other results to go their way. I think they'll lose to at least to India um, in a bounce back game and if they do that then they'll probably end up something like three and two um, and still could finish second if other results go their way i.e uh, New Zealand would have to drop another game and then India would potentially win their remaining three games which are against Afghanistan Scotland and Namibia so you'd think that India would pick up three from three there regardless of their current form it's a, it's a really interesting one with Afghanistan isn't it because we probably don't see uh, well, certainly I don't see enough of, of them play, right? So, you know, we see Rashid Khan, we see Muhammad Nabi, we see a couple of the other guys that are in the um, in the t- T20 leagues around the world. And, and I guess we know how that they're, you know, especially Rashid Khan is, you know, he's just such an, a brilliant bowler. 
So we know how good they are, but we we don't really get to see them as a squad. But I've been super, super impressive. You know, even just thinking about the way they've dealt to Scotland and Namibia. They've dealt to them like an elite, elite team. They haven't just gone out and, you know, had a real struggle, which is what actually some of the, you know, like the Bangladesh say um, in their in their first round fixtures, they lost to Scotland, obviously. They, they had a, a tougher time uh, in those pools. Mm. But Afghanistan's just come in. Their batters just seem to deal only in sixes. They just smash it all over the place. And then their spinners, have, they've got a really, really well-balanced bowling attack. And yeah, I think it's perfectly reasonable that they're going to give New Zealand a pretty tough time in that game and yeah if India's not on their game I think that Afghanistan could beat them as well it's yeah I mean maybe that maybe that leads into Raj I mean I know you've got a few thoughts around India and and kind of what's going wrong for them because I I feel like um I I guess like I know their batting's obviously been a big problem but I I expected their bowling uh to have a bit more thrust in in this uh in these conditions and I just They've just been completely ineffective, both against Pakistan and New Zealand. Yeah, I think it comes down to the number of options that India have. I'm going to liken this to Christmas Day, if you will, when you're a kid and you open all your presents and you don't know which ones to play with first and you end up breaking them all anyway. So this is exactly what's happened with, with the Indian team. I feel like they've just they've broken their team by, by playing with too many options. Coming into this World Cup, I felt like it was a fairly simple or stock standard, definitely from a batting perspective. You had Kohli and Sharma opening the batting, Surya, Kumar, Yadav at three, and then a mixture of Pant, Pandya, Rahul, Kishan, Jadeja in that middle order. And then you had your, your bowlers, your Bumras, your Shamis, and then your spinners, basically. Maybe even the best spin bowler in the world, Ravi Ashwin at the moment, who can't get a look in. It, it's pretty simple for me. And I, I just, when I look at that lineup, you've got uh, Rohit Sharma batting three this morning against New Zealand, Kohli batting four. I, I just, I don't quite understand uh, what's going on. And there's too much, people are thinking too much here. We just need to get back to playing basic cricket. And, and they've got the talent to beat any team on any given day more often than not. Uh, just one more, one more part, uh, one more uh, point on that, Bordy, is I also think that we do need to. Look at the scheduling here from that perspective. India has played Pakistan and New Zealand straight off the bat. Pakistan is playing some incredible cricket, uh, just you know, straight off the bat. They're playing great cricket. Uh, New Zealand played great cricket last night again. You can't take that away from either of those teams. But uh, I am looking forward to uh, the repercussions from this uh, this this Indian team probably bowing out of the team early with Ravi Shastri leaving uh, as well. It'll be interesting to see what the fallout is. You have to remember this is actually, this is the BCCI's home 2020 tournament. And now they're facing a situation where for the rest of the tournament, they've got India playing uh, Afghanistan and the associate nations, and then probably not being part of that final series from an advertising perspective. That's a bit of a disaster. Over to you, Baldy. Yeah, in all my notes around this build up to this podcast and and the retrospective of India's two losses in their first two games, just shattering, shattering losses for them. It's not so much that they lost two games. It's that they were beaten soundly, comprehensively at both times. They've overthought their cricket. There's too much analysis going on in terms of their preparation. It's too much focused on matchups and not enough focused on we have two of the three best T20 batters in the world, potentially, in Kohli and Rohit on form. Um, when they're in form, give those guys the most opportunity to win the match. Your best players should be given the most opportunity to win your 
team the match with the bat, and they haven't done that. They've fiddled around. They've gone, oh, we think that Kishan is a good matchup. We think that this matchup or that matchup or whatever. They have completely misread that situation, and I think if they had their time again, they went, you know what? We'll put Coley and Rohit open in the first six overs, and we will just bash as much as we can in the first six overs, Get try and get 60, 70 runs, get off to a good flyer, and then we've got enough guys to you know, do the rest of it, do the Hardik stuff, do the punt stuff, and and get them to a decent total. But they've they've really overcomplicated both their batting approach and their bowling approach. I think they have missed a real trick not having Ravi Ashwin in that team. He has been a spectacular bowler for for India um, for a long, long period of time. Yes, CV Varun has been tremendous in the IPL, but this is not the IPL. This is the biggest tournament in the world. Ravi Ashwin is, in my mind, the best off-spin bowler in the world. He should be in that team. Just one more thing before I hand over to Stu. I guess when I kind of uh, unloaded there in India, I focused really only on the batting, and I guess I did that from a perspective that traditionally, or even in the recent past, in the distant past, India win their games of cricket with the bat, traditionally. They don't necessarily with the ball. Um, India have the bowlers now to do that, to win games with the ball, but uh, the batting is what, what, what everyone comes to see. It's where they win games, and that's why I focus primarily on, on the batsmen, but I think you've got some stuff on the bowlers, Stu. Oh, look, all, all I was going to add, and, and I don't want to, you know, rail on India here, is, is just that I, I was I was just surprised because I, I just thought that their um, their bowling attack was uh, really well balanced. When you when you look at it on paper and you, you've got your two spinners that are that are good bowlers, you've got uh, Boomer, who's world-class, and he was world-class today, actually, as well, bowled some, some brilliant deliveries against New Zealand. Um, but I guess the other two seamers just haven't quind of been on, whether that's been... Shami and, and Takua tonight and um, yeah just it just hasn't worked out for them and I guess I, I'm surprised but you know I, I don't want to rail on them I, I mean I think we you know we, we all kind of picked them to be in the semis and some of us picked them to win the tournament so we've, we've got that horribly wrong something else I got horribly wrong it seems is uh, England sort of uh, dipping out early Binksy it's probably a good time to, to mention I mean we've we've just touched on Pakistan I guess but you know, have we already seen the finalists emerged? I mean, England is just going tremendously well here, Banksy. Yeah, well, look, I guess to carry on Raj's Christmas theme, it's like Christmas in the Kardashians' house for England, an embarrassment of riches both at the top of the batting order and bowling order. Whichever spinner we bowl in the power play seems to pick up an early wicket or two. Wokes had Mr. Warner on toast, um, schnicked him off um, uh, early on. Um, and look, if not for Aaron Finch and, and probably um, a little bit of a mixed bowling performance from Tamal Mills, Australia shouldn't have really got 100, I don't think, in uh, their first innings. But look, I think I am old enough, wise enough and ugly enough to know that you write Australia off at your peril in these world tournaments. Um, go back to 1999, they had about seven must-win games in a row um, and ended up lifting the, the trophy after that fantastic Super 6 game against South Africa and then beating Pakistan in the final. We saw the same, I think, in the 2007 World Cup out in the Caribbean, Baldy. Um So you kind of write Australia off, but definitely some alarm bells ringing for Australia my only comment, and I think I'll throw back to Baldy with this, is we're seeing a lot of media about changes for that Australian team. And, you know, the old guard, Shane Warne, particularly calling for Steve Smith's head. I'd say there's a few guys ahead of Steve Smith on the chopping block um, after this opening to the tournament, Baldy. 
Yeah, it's not entirely Steve Smith's fault. I think he's been pretty solid in the middle order. It is a pretty 2010 way of playing cricket in in the modern age to have a guy like Steve Smith go run a ball through the middle overs, but it's actually pretty tough to bat in the middle overs in this tournament. I mean, we had a look at um, the Indian performance last night against New Zealand from, I think, overs 6 to 15. They didn't hit a boundary. You know, batting in those conditions is a little bit tougher than I think um, some people in the media have been letting on. So I don't mind having... Smith in that 3-4 role where he's just got to get the team from kind of over 6 to 13 and then Maxwell, Marsh, Stoinis, whoever it is in that lower order is primed to go. The change that I would make if Australia had to change the balance of their side is not to take Smith out but I think to move Warner down the order and to give him more balls and more opportunity against slower bowling and if we put uh, Smith at 3 and Warner at 4 and then moved either Matthew Wade or Inglis up to the top of the order, or even Marcus Stoinis, I think that would give Australia a little bit more punch against pace bowling at the top, and then have Warner have more opportunity when the ball's a little bit older against the spin bowlers and can cash in there. Uh, I think the other question mark for me around Australia is still that, that make-up of the bowling attack. I like when Australia go with four specialist bowlers and try and get four overs out of Maxwell Marsh and Stoinis. I like Ashton Agar, but I just think in terms of the balance of that Australian side, Cummins, Hazelwood, Stark, Zampa are my four best bowlers in that team, and I would be picking them for those conditions. I think if Australia were to take one of those fast bowlers out at the moment, it would be Mitchell Stark, and then to insert Agar in as a, as a number eight and second spin option. So Australia have got a lot of work to do. They've got a couple of matches against Bangladesh and the West Indies to round out their group play. They're going to need to win both of those games pretty comfortably and pretty handsomely, particularly I think they'll be targeting the Bangladesh match to try and exact revenge from their poor tour earlier in the year and to boost their net run rate. Because if they're in a bun fight with, you know, it could be any one of three, four, maybe even five teams finish on the same number of wins in that group, and that is possible then Australia's net run rate needs a big boost in those last two games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I was going to throw to Raj, really, with the West Indies, um, just to see if if we've still got a chance there, because I I completely agree that, um, you know, South Africa's actually, you know, despite the the controversy that they've had, uh, that they've been playing some really good cricket. So I think there's, you know, Bangladesh probably is out of it, uh, especially with Shakib going down. Um, but it, but before we leave it, England, I do want to just mention Joss Butler. I mean, honestly, that was unbelievable innings from him. And it, I think I said it last week how well he was hitting the ball, and that that was even better last you know last night or whenever it, that was. That was just unbelievable. And I think you know in hindsight, I guess me saying that they had been in too many bubbles and all that kind of things for eighteen months is actually kind of silly because uh, you know I've been I've been thinking about it. It's kind of dumb because really it's just Bearstow and Butler that. that really in the core of that squad that are, have been in there. Um, but, you know... Well, interestingly, Lippy, Butler was one to miss yeah. out on the second half of the IPL, actually, so did go and have a rest. Chris Wokes as well, pulling out of his um, IPL gig also for, for similar reasons, although I think he had a little bit of a niggle as well. We'll come on to it, I'm sure, but the you know chasing teams winning 13 of the 16 games so far. But for me, it was the manner in which England went about that chase. They were absolutely and utterly ruthless, right down to Johnny Bairstow coming in. He could have easily gone, we'll get these in 13 overs and I'll just knock it around and get a red inker. But no, he carried on the momentum that Roy and Butler had given at the top of the order and smashed a couple into the top tier of that 
um, Emirates stand. So, um, look, it's too early to count your chickens. And you, you started that segment off, Lippy, by asking, have the finalists emerged already in Pakistan and England? Look, I'd certainly say that two of the semi-finalists have had. Uh, but, you know, we're not great for predictions, as we've proved yet again with our four going through. So um, for us to pick the finalists at this stage, I think would be horrible top order podcast hubris. Yeah, well, I think that England are the the short price price favourite. They are looking strong, and, and they deserve to be those those um, that short priced favourite. Uh, I, I just wanted to to highlight two things actually, actually, or one thing that covers both of those, Australia and England, and it's the difference between how they've they've built up and how their their squad is made up, and knowing your role, having that preparation, which England have had over the last few years. They're a great white ball team that seem to know what each of their roles are, and you can see how they're winning situations, which leads to winning the game as an outcome. Australia, on the other hand, when something went wrong in that England game with their batting, they didn't seem to have that plan B. I mean, clearly we've talked about Glenn Maxwell in the IPL coming in on the front foot versus the back foot. He should never be coming in at two for nothing. Uh, You always shove him down the order, and and they've got ready-made replacements for that situation. Stoinis, Wade can go in there and steady the ship like, like Wade did. Uh, and build a foundation for Maxwell to come in in the 8th over and the 10th over and really close it out. Uh, but that's not what happened. Um, that, that's where I think that their biggest issue is that they just don't know how to win games at the moment because they haven't played together uh, as a team for a long time. Uh, England, though, you're right on the hubris. Just one thing. It's, w- somebody asked me what England's uh, weakness is going to be going forward. What do you think England's weakness is going to be going forward, Raj? Well, I'm glad you asked you. The um, What I see happening is that the big word momentum is going to come into play here. So England are playing a game tonight, uh, but between after that game and then the first semi-final, which is 10 days away, England are only playing one other game. So the last thing you want in this kind of tournament in short cricket is to be sitting there on the sideline watching other teams pick up that momentum so we're about to see New Zealand play three games in that space in that in that same space of time against Afghanistan and those those associate nations so the likelihood is they're going to pick up a lot of form and go into that semi-final against England on the back of of a few games and some momentum so I think that's where um that's where we could see England have a little bit of problems and that's going to be my prediction of where they're going to fall down in the first semi-final. You started that with saying hubris, Raj. Um, at the moment, obviously, New Zealand not sitting in the semi-final places. So there is, of course, a chance that New Zealand play three lovely games of cricket and then have a quick beach holiday before they get back into managed isolation. So um, let's see how that um, all plans out, particularly with our history of predictions. Yeah, well, look, let's let's hope that uh, Raj's predictions at least come through for, for New Zealand there. But I just wanted to pick up on um, the point you made around balance of the side and roles because I think that's become astutely clear to me in this tournament and Pakistan is the best example for that and probably Asif Ali is the absolute example of that because you know I certainly think we've got to give Pakistan a shout out and not not just so that we don't get uh, you know trolled in our social media uh, for for missing out on Pakistan but um, you know there's certainly no grudges here because they've been absolutely tremendous Uh, you know I really thought, a few of us have mentioned it, that you know the disruption off the field that they've had would have had an impact on them. And, and they've changed coaches, they changed the squad just before the tournament. But they've been unbelievable. And, and Asif Ali, I was really delighted that he got the man in the match in uh, in that game against New Zealand. Or uh, 
against Afghanistan uh, because 25 of eight balls or seven balls or whatever it was, 25, you think, oh, you know, that's not a, you know, that's kind of not enough to, to win you man in the match. But the way he's been able to, to turn those games when they've all actually been 50-50 moments when he's been in, and he's just gone bang, bang, bang. He did the, did a KP. Binksy just said, "I'm gonna, you know, this game finishes this over," and just went bang, 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 and it was it was done. And, and you know, we talked about the those first six overs. Shaheen's playing his role. They're just so well balanced, and everyone knows exactly what they've got to do in every single situation. With Babar and Rizwan opening, it, it's really tremendously well balanced, and you know. If they can keep this momentum going, you know, you mentioned that England are short price favourites, but I really think Pakistan are favourites just the way that they've played because they're just so well balanced. And I still think England's batting is reliant on a couple of people, um, even though Butler has just so been so tremendous. Yeah, just to touch on that point, Stu, Asifali's faced 19 balls in this World Cup so far. He's hit seven sixes and a four in those 19 balls and hasn't been dismissed. Man, he is just having an absolute ball of a tournament. And he's so dangerous in late-game situations. And you're right, the, the role piece there is just superb for Pakistan. And they've got so much depth through their batting. I mean, you have a look at that batting lineup from top to bottom, and with him closing out the game, it's just an absolutely perfect platform. Even if they have to bat first in the game and set a target, I think they're going to be able to do that even if they lose the toss and are being forced to bat first. Look, and I know we said we were going to try and be a bit quicker for all the listeners out there, so that you can, you know, finish your podcast while we're going while you're going for your for your run. We're obviously making you run a bit further today. But look, the the one thing I, we did want to touch on, I think, in the this World Cup wrap up, is the chasing teams winning. I think you've touched on that before, Binksy. Like you said, there's been 13 wins for the chasing teams, and I think three of those those three wins, two of them are, are Afghanistan against Scotland and Namibia. And the other was Andre Russell bowling a dot ball off the last ball against Bangladesh, which actually I think Bangladesh probably should have won that game if they're going to look back at, at things. I mean, you mentioned the Jew before. Why do we think this is really? And, and I guess if we think it's more than a coincidence, how much of a problem is it that the toss is playing such a big part in such a, you know, a global tournament? Yeah, look, I guess it's been something that's come up in a lot of cricket in the subcontinent, particularly white ball cricket over the course of the last 10 years or so. I remember seeing a, a series England-India where the dew affected almost every single game. So it was almost a lottery as to who won the toss, uh, won the game. We've not probably seen it to that level, though. I, I think what we've we've probably seen is the slowness of the pitches um, and to the point that was made earlier on in the podcast, you can't necessarily win the game in that first six overs, but you can go a long way to batting yourself out of it, particularly when you've loaded your, uh, your, you know, your batting at the top of the order. And then you've got guys that have to come in and probably play a game that's not necessarily natural to them in terms of um, biffing the ball in that middle period. And I think the other thing, and we, we touched upon this on the last pod as well, is just that there's nowhere to hide in terms of the bowling lineups at this World Cup. Most teams have got a couple of quality spinners. And um, you just look at England, for example. Um, Moen Ali, who was the star with the ball in the first two games for England, didn't even bowl a delivery in this um, last game. So t- teams have got their matchups so well planned out. They've got options. All of them have got options to take wickets in the middle overs. And when you're taking wickets in the power play and still have the ability to take wickets in the middle overs, um, I think we're always going to see 
Um, obviously, a, a situation where uh, chasing teams know exactly how to go about their chase and they're so well-equipped um, to pace those innings now and, and perhaps see off a bowler when they need to in a, in a chase that isn't in that sort of 170, 180 region where they've got to go after everybody. Yeah, I echo a lot of those points, especially around losing the game. You can you can really lose the game in that first six overs of, of the whole game. And I am not I don't have the exact number in front of me, but I reckon the average score for this tournament will be around 140. I could be wrong or right there. Um, when you're chasing that number, I feel like it's very easy in this day and age of 2020 cricket to go at a runner ball and just accelerate when you need to at the end. Um, you know, teams are used to chasing ten and over uh, in that in, in certain sections of, of the chase. So I think going at runner ball for the majority of the of the innings is something that that has become easy for us. So yeah, I, I don't think it's a massive problem with the Jew. I think the Jew has more of an effect in a one-day game. I mean, there is an effect, of course, in, in 2020 cricket, but I think in a one-day game it has a, a bigger effect going from that day to night. Um, but yeah, I just think it's around that average score and this being a lower lower score um, 2020 World Cup than normal. Over to you, Baldy. Yeah, just touching on that point, the highest scores so far, kind of batting first, Bangladesh against Sri Lanka, 171 for four you know, Sri Lanka chased that down in 18.5 overs. Of course, India 151 for seven. Pakistan chased that down, made 152. And then Sri Lanka made 154 against Australia, and that was chased down. They're the only 150-plus scores batting first in games that were reasonably close. I mean, Afghanistan made 160 and bowled Namibia out. That was lopsided game, and I'm not really counting that. Afghanistan belted Scotland and made 190, bowled Scotland out for 60. So there were some lopsided games in there, but there haven't really been very many close games at all where the team batting first has made over 150. So I'm not necessarily sure that batting conditions are more difficult um, batting first in this World Cup but certainly I think the bowlers are finding it a little bit more challenging with a little bit of Jew batting second, uh, bowling second. So we've done a pretty good job of wrapping up where we're at in the World Cup so far with games coming up thick and fast over the next few days. Next fixture coming up tonight, England playing Sri Lanka. The bookmakers odds, England paying $2.75, Pakistan $3.25, New Zealand $6, and then Australia $9, closely followed by South Africa at $10. Um, that's on Bet365, we should say. Other betting agencies are available for perusal. But before we do move on and exit this this week in cricket, there is some stuff going on outside of the white ball. Um Ben Stokes is back to the ashes. We teased that uh, on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. We said we saw him in the nets and and perhaps it uh, might be more than just the Instagram feed. Um, Also, Jofra Archer hinting he may be back uh, to training soon. So maybe England needing another business class fair. And then we've also got the IPL expansion teams named as well in terms of their cities and some seriously eye-watering amounts of money being talked about there. Anyone want to jump in on any of those little tidbits from around the cricketing world? Paulie, I want to know how... how, Does that scare you at all, Stokes? England still still look pretty weak to me on paper. Are are you worried about now that, you know, Stokes, is he he the saviour? No, not that I'm not worried. I'm excited by it. I think it's going to be fantastic for the Ashes series to have Ben Stokes in the team. Um... I will be even more excited if Jofra Archer plays and we get to see Anderson Broad, Archer and Spinner X against Australia. I think that will be a fantastic challenge for the Australians. It will mean that there's no excuses. 
There's no asterisks. There's no ifs, ands, buts, or maybes. The best possible England side is going to come to Australia and play Australia in Australia. Australia now have to bring their A game. I think England have landed a psychological blow against some of those players like Mitchell Stark, etc. in that game um, just gone in the T20. I know it's a different format. I know they're slightly different squads, but there will be just a hint of England going, yeah, we've got these guys. We know that we can go there and beat these guys now. So I think it's just fantastic. It gets juicier and juicier, this prospect of an Ashes, tour, uh, Ashes tour. It's uh, I'm so excited. Is the Archer um, Archer bit of news actually something that is realistic for him to turn up turn up to the Ashes, Binksy? Nah, probably not. But we have, we've got a podcast to run, haven't we? So, uh, got to get a bit of speculation <laughs> in there. Look, who knows? Um, they always said they weren't going to rush him back, and I think the interesting thing for me is there's been so little chat about it. Um, so look, I don't really expect him to be um, a chance. But who knows if he's you know in a bit of warm weather. Um, at the moment and uh, kind of getting back to some form of fitness. Funnier things have happened, haven't they? Raj, tell us how much money those uh, IPL franchises went for because that was just obscene, obscene amounts of money. Yep, yep. Uh, In a word, it was a lot. Um, (laughs) So there there will be two franchises. So the first one is a Lucknow-based franchise owned by the RPSG Group who paid... $964 million US uh, for that franchise license. And then the second team is a a Ahmedabad expansion team, which was acquired by CVC, which is a venture capital firm, uh, for $736 million US. So those amounts are to be paid over a 10-year period. Uh, But I guess what does this mean for the IPL? That's what we actually want to know. So from a dollar's perspective, the, the current broadcast deal that they that they have is a five-year deal, which is coming to an end next year, 2022, which was worth about $2.6 billion for the BCCI. It's a lot of money. Uh, the forecast is that with two new franchises, that will increase by at least 25% to around uh, $3.1 billion for the next five-year cycle. So those are incredible numbers for Indian cricket. Um, and I mean, when you think about it, this is a six-week tournament that we're talking about that they're broadcasting. It's incredible uh, from, from a numbers perspective. In terms of games, this is the interesting thing. So it's got probably going to increase from a 60-game tournament to a 74-game tournament. And there are already whispers of a, another two-team expansion for the next rights deal, which will turn the IPL into a three to three-and-a-half-month competition if that were to go ahead so there are clearly plans that the bcci has around the ipl and where it sits in the in the game of cricket or the world game of cricket which um which is going to be interesting going forward what are your lads thoughts about those numbers and plans yeah yeah that's going to be the thing that we've the, the numbers are astronomical they're, they're just absolutely incredible it's almost kind of u.s franchise sport level numbers which thinking back 10 years ago was just is is almost unfathomable the interesting thing that comes up of course as you mentioned Raj is the length of the tournament now the more teams that we've got if each team plays each other twice as they do now that's starting to get towards 18 22 games per team if you get to 10 12 teams and of course that means that that's a three-month tournament or more which means it takes up yet more time in a window that's still struggling to catch up with rescheduled tours post-COVID and we're still going to be seeing that in 2022-2023 so the the cricketing calendar is going to get more and more compressed and there's going to be more and more pressure on club versus country moving forward 
I'm just jumping in here because I know that Binksy wants to wrap up the podcast, but I always uh, love to get as many plugs for New Zealand in as I can. So I just quickly give you a little bit of a, a New Zealand. You know, we, we talked about the tremendous performance uh, that they did overnight for uh, against India. We've also had a lot of runs being scored and exciting for that Indian uh, test series coming up. Uh, we've had hundreds for, for Tom Latham. We've had a 97 for Henry Nichols. Uh, and actually, probably the most interesting one for me is we've had a hundred from Cam Fletcher, who I actually think is a, a pretty good chance to be on the plane to India as the backup test keeper. Um, maybe that's just me hoping that an old East Coast based player will will get there. But he's had a great season. He was on uh, the reserve. He was the reserve, not you know, non-traveling reserve, I guess you'd call it, uh, in you know, our, our playing days, I guess, um, for for that uh, England tour. And, you know, if, if they don't want to risk Tom Latham as the backup keeper, then I think Cam's got the, the best opportunity to, to go on that tour, which would be outstanding for him. So, yeah, very notable uh, performances there. Uh, and and just a, a, got a shout-out for our recent guest, Katie Martin, who put a, a big 100 in a, a big win for the Sparks in the first round of the Halliburton-Johnston. The one thing I do want to leave you with, uh, I've got a, a stat for you. Sophie Devine... She's just been on fire. We gave her a plug last week for her 100. Super overs. Sophie Devine. Six innings, 18 balls faced, 68 runs, strike rate of 377.78, six wins. That's a stat for you. Well, Lippy, as you said, keen to wrap up the podcast. Perhaps she should have played that 2019 super over and then the result might have been different for the Black Caps. But... For all of our listeners, we did, of course, promise you shorter, more regular content. We've delivered on that uh, for two weeks. We're back to a bit of a whopper tonight with This Week in Cricket covering such an exciting T20 World Cup. So hopefully you will forgive us. We will be back in your feed later in the week as well with more Cricketing Hall of Fame. Um, But for now, it's good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. We'll see you soon. 